The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello and welcome to Inspire Us. I have a trigger warning for you today, folks. This episode deals with domestic violence and brutal assault. If this in any way will trigger you, I recommend that you do not tune into this episode. This episode is about the courage of a young woman whose husband turned on her, kidnapped her, held her hostage for six months, beat her, raped her, and it goes on. But it's a story of a woman who found her strength and her power throughout that terrible situation and rose like a phoenix. And on that note, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Elizabeth Molina. Elizabeth Molina, welcome to Inspire Us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow. Ever since I heard your powerful story on Clubhouse, one of survival, of grit, of everything that you went through and survived to help others, I absolutely wanted to have you on here because yours is a story that needs to be told to so many people who are suffering in this world. And you are a champion for women. You are a domestic violence survivor and warrior. So it is my absolute pleasure and honor to have you on, Elizabeth. How could I say no to something like that? You're awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking me. How could I say no to you? Because you're awesome. And I know that sounds crazy, but I'm just grateful to be here and thanking you for allowing me to share this message and reach more people. Thank you so much for those kind words. Elizabeth, I would love to uh, have you just tell your story. And for uh, our listeners out there, there are going to be some aspects of this, this recording, this podcast that may trigger some things and some people. I just want to warn you that some of the things that Elizabeth has been through and that she's about to share with you may trigger some things in you. So if you don't feel like you are ready to listen to a story of severe domestic violence, of life and death, then please tune out. Uh, There's going to be other podcasts for you. Uh, I'm going to have other guests on, but I do hope that you listen to Elizabeth's powerful story because it is one of endurance and one of absolute superwomanhood, how you got through this, Elizabeth. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Elizabeth, please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us your incredible story. Of course. Thank you so much again. And, and for you guys who, you know, I did do a TEDx and so I talk about the story there in more detail, but I'll just do like, I'll try my best to sum it up in, in the nicest, fast, like the spark notes of, <laughs> of the story. So um At 16 years old, I was engaged to somebody who was 18 years my senior. And just before you're like, what's happening? My parents were going through a horrible divorce. They were just so in the thick of it with their situation that they couldn't like 
pay attention to me. And, you know, here comes this man who's extremely wealthy and he's literally just like taking care of their daughter, taking care of them, like unburdening them basically in a way. And I guess they were just so like in the thick of their divorce that I feel like I was I don't feel like I know that I was neglected. I fell through the cracks and in, in their defense, probably they thought this is safe. He's, he seems to be a good guy. He seems to be taking care of my child. So let's go back to the story. Cause I just wanted to give some context before people think, and this is in the U S and in, in America. And so I'm 16 years old. I'm engaged to somebody who's 18 years, my senior fast forward, 18 years old. I'm married. I have a baby at 18. Uh, divorced by 21. Let's take it back a notch between the 18 to the 21 divorce. I was eight months pregnant um, and two of my brothers had passed away. And at the funeral, my ex-husband at the t- uh, husband at the time, ex-husband now was perfect. We never got into an argument. I didn't know when couples said that people argued, I, I thought that was like a lie. Like, I had no idea. This is the person who was perfect, who was always concerned about me. I just want to share that because I think it's so important for people to know that domestic violence doesn't happen overnight. It is something that I feel like you're groomed for it. And and you can probably share a little bit more on that. And because you do a lot of, you've done a lot of education on that. It, it's something that happens very slowly, but it happens. And when it all like accumulates, it just hits you like a bam and you didn't know where it came from, but there, there are signs to look out for. So he was perfect. On the funeral, I'm eight months pregnant. I'm watching uh, five of my nieces and nephews from literally like six, five, four, three, two, one, like this age, crying for their fathers, just like horribly distraught. And he said to me in my ear, he whispered, I promised your brothers, as long as they were alive that I would treat you like a princess. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what you've been doing. Like, what does this mean? And I didn't understand what he meant. And so I wish I did. Like in retrospect, he kind of gave me a warning. Moving forward, I realized that the relationship wasn't going in the direction that I wanted. He was becoming very controlling, couldn't be with my family, couldn't have friends, couldn't talk to anybody, started controlling money. I couldn't buy things. I had to ask permission for everything. And I just thought, oh, maybe this is normal. Maybe this is what happens in a relationship. So let's fast forward a tiny bit. I realized it wasn't for me. I wanted to get divorced. I wanted to be the strong woman that I was taught to be. And, you know, growing up in school, Amelia Earhart, all these women, Oprah. So I'm like, no, I'm smart. I'm going to go to school. He said, absolutely not. Like, first of all, no one divorces me. I've never married anyone. And you, like, you're going to be the person to this young girl is going to divorce me. Like, no, that was his ego. And then shortly after, I know I'm taking a while, but I really feel like the audience is needs to hear these parts because I don't really share all of those details, but I think that it'll be really helpful for people to understand. Sometimes you're in a relationship and you don't realize that this is happening because you've become so conditioned to it. And these are the little steps, like just so small that start happening. So the turning point for me was really, it was winter and my nieces and nephews needed coats and their father had passed away. They were in a really bad situation. And, and I, I had to ask permission to buy them a coat. And he literally looked at me and said, no. I, I said, what do you mean? We're so wealthy. I can't buy them coats, winter coats. These kids need the coats. And he said to me, no, they, your brother had a life insurance. He has, he left a lot of money and like, that's not your responsibility. And I said, but those are my nieces and nephews and I care about them. And he said, no, it's my money and I do what I want. And I said, no. 
And I was like, this, I can't be with this guy. So I decided to leave him for two weeks. I was on my own with my baby. I never shared this part, but I feel safe that I could. And I think a lot of women do this as well. They go back and forth, they get promised things. And then this is where you start getting lured into that cave, into this hole where some women unfortunately don't make it out. And after the two, two weeks, he said, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I was unable to deal with the grief of your brother. I was really wrong for what I did. And it's everything that I wanted to hear, right? Like that's what happens in these situations. And it was like, I'm sorry. I, I needed, like, I couldn't deal with this. He's so young. He left his kids and he was younger than me. And I can't even imagine like if that were to happen to me and this was my way of grieving with it. And because I was like smart and mature for my age, I'm like, that makes sense because I know that men are a little slower <laughs> and I don't mean slower, like, like dumb, but like, it's just like not as mature. And I knew that I was really mature. And so I'm like, okay, that's great. So he said, Hey, why don't we go to the Dominican Republic? public. Let's make everything right. Like, I'll let you go to school. Listen to the words. I will let you go to school. I will let you, I will give you an allowance so that you wouldn't have to feel this way anymore. I will let, and I will give like he is already priming me, but I'm not understanding because I'm so excited not to be divorced, not to have that shame of people saying, I told you so that there's so many things that made me the perfect, perfect What's the word? Help me out here. Oh, um, it made you the perfect victim, really. They, um, I didn't want to say victim. I'm like, what's the other word? But yes, victim. Yes, oh, it really is. You became the perfect victim. Exactly. I became the perfect victim. And so I went to the Dominican Republic, which is where this happened. As soon as I got there, things got a little bit iffy. My phone was taken away from me. And I, you guys, I don't know if you guys can see this, but in air quotes, to charge my phone. And I didn't think anything of it because remember, guys, there was never an argument before. I never got a no. There was never like just I everything I said and I wanted was done except for the coats and certain little other things. So in my mind, nothing wrong, like not even one voice being raised. This is the person who was like plucking my eyebrows, making sure that my nails were perfect, making sure that my outfits like truly like a perfectionist to the T like and that should have been another clue for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if there was a wrinkle in my clothing, like he would iron them, take them, like take your clothes off and we need to iron them. You need to be perfect. And I was like, wow, he must really love me yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I was so neglected that that seemed okay to me. So I get there, my phone is taken away first. And obviously in retrospect, I'm like, that's the first sign phone was taken away. My passport was taken away because, you know, I'm an American citizen. You need to get a visa to come in. And he always took care of everything, like I mentioned. So I didn't think anything of it, but it's something just felt weird. Also, um, I didn't enter the country like a normal person. I, I came out of the plane and he's like, oh, don't worry. We have friends in the embassy. We'll just get it stamped, you know, like anytime. It's not a problem. And that we've done that before. And I just thought, well, he must like I'm getting the VIP treatment because like, what else are you going to think? I get there, you know, he hands the baby off to um, his aunt who was taking care of the child, my child, our child. And then the next thing you know, I get punched and I wake up, I'm naked on the marble floor, tied up. And this is where it begins, where I was kidnapped for six months. I was literally beaten and raped six, seven times a day for six months, starved. Um, and I found the courage in the middle of all of that, obviously getting punished. Like if I didn't behave good, I didn't get food. And by behaving good, meaning like trying not to fight back or say anything or like fighting the rapes 
right? Or like say like the brainwashing, like, are you going to do this? No. Do you want to go to school? Yes. That's the wrong answer. You know, like all these things. And so, um, then if I behaved good enough, I could get food or I could see my daughter. So it was, it was a very challenging time in my life. And through that, I found the courage to kind of gather myself together and figure out a plan. How do I get out of here? Like, I think, and, and you could probably talk to this, mm-hmm. something happens like a flip switches. Okay. Either I stay a victim, mm-hmm. right. And I figure out like, this is my fate or I find a way to get out. And I did, I had a deal. I had conversations with myself. I don't know what this phenomenon is called to me. It's a conversation with God. I was like, listen, what does he want? He wants me to get pregnant. If I don't get pregnant in the next month, this is a sign that you want me to fight. If I get pregnant, this is a sign that like, I must have done something so bad in my life in my past life. Cause I was too young to do anything really, really bad. And so I was like, this is my sentence. I was, I talk about it in my Ted talk that it's, I was waiting for my sentence. Like for the whole month, I remember waiting, like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be God? Like, am I going to be pregnant? And this is my fate. Or are you going to say, no, you're not getting pregnant and you're going to get out. You're going to have to figure your way out of this. That's what happened. But I didn't know that you couldn't get pregnant at a 3% body fat. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You were starved. Uh, you were starved and treated uh, like a, a hostage because you did become a hostage. Um, may I just add a couple yeah. of things? Yeah. And then sure. your, your story, and I want to hear more because I know, and for our listeners, I already know there's a lot more to this story. Uh, this remarkable woman here has endured so much neglected by your parents at a very young age. Uh, You were not supported. And suddenly this man, 18 years, your senior comes over and he seems like a knight in in shining armor. Uh, On a white horse, he comes in and he rescues you. And we all need that love and attention, which you weren't getting from your parents as much support as what we all need. So you did fall through the cracks. You were neglected. And here is this man who is rich. Not only that, you know, he he wants to take care of you and he marries you and he does take care of you. He is the perfect man until the time when your brothers pass away and that promise that he made to them was shattered and broken. And I wonder why. I'm trying to think in the back of my my mind with everything that I've studied, um, why the shift, why your brothers had that kind of power over him. Because the moment they no longer did he is the one who asserted that power and control over you, where you no longer became his wife, you became his property. And, and he did with you what he wanted to. You were the trophy wife. You were, and, and you were confused. You were confused because you discovered that they, you were actually living with a monster and monsters are real. And I think you mentioned that in your, in your Ted talk, you're so right. The conditioning and it, comes over, you're, you're so right when you say the pattern of violence can take a while to actually uh, to become uh, apparent. And, uh, and some people don't even realize it actually. So let me just withdraw that. Sometimes it doesn't become apparent. What, what happens is that we become accustomed and acclimatized to the violence to the insults, to the control, the power and control, uh, without thinking that we have a right to fight. And I believe in your background, your parents sent you to, was it a military school or was it? It was was a military boarding school. Right. 
And they taught you some things uh, in that military boarding school that I think equipped you, in, in, at least in your subconscious, with a fighting spirit. And I absolutely love that. What you were just talking about, how, and this happens to so many people, where it, it, even on a dating situation where you can't see anyone else, no, you can't get a hold of your parents, no, you're mine, and you will ask me for permission. It is that dominance, that power and control, that you know, psychopaths, uh, narcissistic, whatever it is, they need to control everything because they don't see you as a real person, they see you as their possession. And regrettably, a lot of people don't have that spirit that you have, Elizabeth, in that you talked to yourself. I can't imagine. I am, there's so much more to your story I want to get into, but I am so impressed by what you said because our listeners have got to pick up on this is that it's okay to have a fighting argument with yourself. You can fight the, well, I must have done something wrong in my life. No, 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 no. You didn't. You didn't. What's happening to you is wrong. Have that discussion, whether you're having it with God or yourself, whoever it is, but, but you did, and that gave you strength. So I've done enough talking, but there is that conditioning that happened to you. And when you had everything taken away from you, you started to realize that there, there had to be a way out for you. Please continue with your story, Elizabeth. Yeah, no, thank you so much. But I, you know, you said something that I want to bring forward because I truly believe in my heart that this needs to be shared. And and when people think like, how could a, a, a young person so confident going to these prestigious schools and camps and being educated and all these things? So st- some of the things you brought up, like what what was the power that my brothers had over me? And so, you know, one thing that my ex husband told me was, "Who's going to defend you?" your father's too old, your mom can't do anything, your little brother, he's too young, and he was suffering with addiction, which he still is, because after my brothers passed away, my dad started drinking a lot, and then taking it out on my younger brother, so it it was like the perfect recipe, and so when somebody who is the predator finds a person that they slowly tell, like, you're like, how did she give her power away, how did she stop talking to her friends, well, easy, it's like, he would make it to be where you see, they don't care about you. They're only using you. I care about you. I, I value you. This is, this is what I do for you. And so you see, your mom doesn't call you every day. Your dad doesn't care about you. Your friends, look, they're just using you. They don't really care about you. Like ask them to come over now and help you with your work. And then I would, because like, he must care about me. And then they're like, Oh, I can't come over. And he's like, you see, so I just want you guys to realize these small little things that add up and they start breaking you down slowly so that everything that they say actually becomes so real and you become so isolated because you think no one is there to support you. And that's part of the recipe that I'm sure you have seen over and over again. Thank you for pointing that out. You're absolutely right. It's a form of brainwashing. It's a form of really confusing you to the point where you you actually start to empathize with your with your taker. Uh, we hear that in the Stockholm syndrome, where you know, well, yeah, they must, you know, they must love me, and and uh, that's why a lot of people go back. And and in your story, I know that you went back a couple of times. The sweet talking is like, oh, I'm so sorry, I recognize my my mistakes, and you know, let me treat you like the queen that you are, only to have the honeymoon phase or whatever. And it's not really a honeymoon phase; it's their it's their manipulation. It's like, okay, I'll get her back on my side here. And then I'll go back to who I really am, the devil. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. A monster. Yeah. So, so I just, I wanted to share that because there's so much to be said there, but just to go back to the story. Some, so, so I, I, I managed to figure out my way to come back here by convincing him. I, I thought to myself, like, again, I had these inner dialogues with myself and I, I'm not sure if that came from like me being an, like going to acting school as a child. I think part of my um, tools and my arsenal was I have an extremely vivid imagination. Like I read books, I took myself like away to journeys by reading books. I would immerse myself in them and I could um, kind of teleport myself there. So I was like, oh, I can do this when I'm in a bad situation. So I was able to have these inner dialogues with myself. And I was like, what does he want from me? Like, okay, I got it. I'm not pregnant. This means God, universe, this is a sign um, that you want me to live. And again, like sometimes I'm being choked, you know, where I'm passing out. And I wake up, I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? And then the, the baby is there laughing. And I'm like, what's, you know, I remember going to the doctor once and because I was choked so bad and my nose was broken, my ribs. And the doctor said, this is another country said, if you, if you like, you know, if she continues to pass out when you're choking her, she might not wake up. <sighs> and again, these are, this is another country, right? Yes. So the doctors, you can just pay them. Right. <laughs> you can pay right. off any doctor especially in other countries. So he's like, okay, I guess no more choking. But I remember that. And so those are the moments where literally I remember like leaving my body. I'm like, I can't be here anymore. And like that life and death experience that people when they flatline and they come back, which I've had literally was that. And I remember fighting with this inner dialogue with myself saying, okay, I, I think it's great that I leave. I don't need to be, it's so painful to be hit and raped and beat and like have to behave good just to have a food or a cup of water. And so I was like, it, it, I just feel so good to be out of my body and be liberated. Like there's no point to live. Like I've had many of those moments. And then I always remember my daughter, like, oh, but what's going to happen to her? Mm -hmm. And so that's what kept on bringing me back. And I'm like, I need to, so when people say you're being brave, I wasn't being brave because of me. I kept on remembering this little girl that was a part of me that I was like, whoa, if I'm not here, who's going to guide her? This monster is going to be raising her? Absolutely not, because I'm a fighter. No, no way. This is this child is my DNA. She is part of me. And so that's that was a part of it. But so going back to that whole, I had this inner conflict, this inner dialogue. Okay, now I see that I'm not pregnant. You guys, the universe is telling me you're not being punished. You're not a bad person. It was like, I was like, oh, okay. It's like you're here, you're waiting to hear a sentence at a trial, right? That's how I felt. And then I know his frustration, like he was so frustrated. And I was like jumping inside for joy. Like, yes, I'm not pregnant. I'm not having a child, another child from this monster. Like, you know, I love my child, but like, it was not the same situation. And so I was like, okay, now I have to put on my thinking cap. I always call myself the female MacGyver. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this now. Like now I'm activated. Now the warrior inside of me is like, let's get, let's get this party started. Like I'm no longer a victim. Now I'm going to play this game with you and I'm going to beat you at that because I'm a winner. And I started thinking, why would he do this to me? Why would he want? And then, and then I got the message, like, I don't know if it was universe, the source, whatever. It just, he wants to brainwash me because he doesn't. And I was like, wow. Okay he's hitting me because I'm fighting him back. I'm, you know, what if I don't fight back? And it started getting better as I wasn't fighting back. And I'm like, oh, so this is real. Like, I couldn't even believe that this was happening to me also, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, I was still struggling with the concept. Like, I think I'm going to wake up any day now. I must be in a nightmare. Like, it, like my, nobody ever even raised their voice at me growing up. Like, if, 
if my parents screamed at me, I would have bursted out into tears crying. I was so sensitive, like to go to that extremity. Right. Right. And so I realized he wants to brainwash me. He wants to say jump and he wants me to say how high I started doing that. I started, he obviously started testing me, checking me out. I mean, that's such a much longer conversation, but I managed to convince him, put on that show. I freaking won that Oscar, even though I didn't really get the Oscar, but the Oscar is me being here because, you know, Kate Winslet, Titanic, move over. Elizabeth has, <laughs> has got some things on you, my dear. And I, and I love, and I love the movie and I love her. She's a great actress, but you know, that's how good it was because one thing is acting, but one thing is when you're actually being tortured and in a situation where you have no control and you have to pretend to love someone, to care, that is completely like a whole nother game. It's You don't get to cut and go home and take a shower and wash it off, right? Mm -hmm. That was like almost four months of like me playing a part of loving my a uh, handler or what do you want to call him? Abuser. My, you're my, loving your abuser. My kidnapper. Yeah. 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 It was hard to smile, to say, I love you. Oh, I, I can't, I'm going to die with that. Like this was the show of a lifetime. And it also messes with you psychologically because then you, the lines blur out. Like, am I really feeling this? Or am I telling myself to feel this because I've gotten so good at this. So there was a lot of deprogramming, but anyways, I made it back to the States. I, you know, I was still being tested the whole time. Uh, before I came back to the States, he kind of did some, he, we, you know, he did some, he took some measures to make sure that I would still be very scared to follow things and to be under his command, I want to call it and his influence. But I got to the point where I hit rock bottom and I'm like, no, I, if somebody is going to come after me, going to kill me, going to do something, I'd rather them do that with me fighting i'd rather my daughter read on a newspaper mother was shot by whatever or killed or stabbed but she knew that i died trying right right so i i got away 25 dollars. i just i devised a plan and got away 25 dollars the baby and i never looked back wow and you left out a part that i think our our listeners should really pay attention to your monster of a husband at the time also gave you some money so that you could pay for the services of someone um, to facilitate in the controlling of you. Would you mind sharing that part? Um, yeah. what, you, what you had to do with that money? Yeah. So I was taken on a private um, jet airplane. It's, it was, a, I, don't, I can't remember, but it seemed like a little private jet to a country called Haiti. And I was given $25,000 in cash to pay um, a hitman to come after me if I decided to run away when I was in the United States. Because obviously I would be more comfortable in the United States that I could speak the language properly and know my rights versus being in another country where I didn't know my rights. And I was so scared. I couldn't dial 911. My Spanish was horrible at the time. Um, and so like I couldn't like no one could fully understand what I was saying. Um, so he had uh, had me pay this hitman twenty five thousand dollars to come after me if I ran away and 
he had recorded me with a video camera just to see how I walked in case I decided to change my appearance or like he could find me in a crowded place. Uh, so I tried on different wigs so he could see like if I changed my hair color because apparently, you know, people change their hair colors to change their appearance. I'm, I'm sure you guys watch movies where all these spies put on different wigs. It was it was that, but like not in, in a fun way. <laughs> I tried on wigs, uh, my voice was recorded and I was really scared. Like I he took pictures, like mug shots of me in all these different costumes so that if I ever tried to run away or change my appearance he could find me and mm -hmm. so that that was like the prerequisite of coming back to the U.S. And not only did he take the pictures of you didn't he share some pictures with you of um of the consequences of your actions? Yes he did um this is not the ex-husband this is the hitman right he had um it was a huge stack. I, I still remember it was like this big, like you guys can't see. I don't know. There's like four or five inches yes. of pictures uh, of, of what he had done, dismembering people, women, uh, torturing them. And I, I still have those images in my mind and I've never seen something so mortifying. He said, if I ran away, he was going to make sure that he wasn't going to just kill me. He was going to do it slowly so that I could every day remember that I ran away. He would start off with my foot. He would chop off my foot because, you know, running feet, then he would take a leg off and he would do this slowly. So every time I would heal, he actually said this, which I didn't share with you. As soon as I, he, I wouldn't know where he would be coming from, he would chop off the next limb. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like the threat to top off the other stuff. He's like, I'm not going to, I wouldn't shoot you right away. I would kill you slowly. And, and he showed me pictures of people who he dismembered slowly. Um, and so that was very scary, obviously. Oh, no kidding. Um, again, that's a form of terrorism, absolute uh, nightmare that you were through. And uh, to have you sitting here with me today in this moment, I am so delighted. Here you are. You are alive because you did something and you uh, you found your way out of that nightmare by using so many um so many things that you've learned, you know, the acting, exactly the acting and just, just the willpower of getting yourself out of that. Can you imagine if you had not done those things, where you would be today and where your daughter would be today? I, I just can't imagine. And the fact is, is that I am so impressed with you as a human being to have survived everything, but also for being vulnerable and sharing your story to so many other people out there because your story will be falling on ears of people who are going through not what you went through, and maybe some of them will, but they may be going through something similar, or there may be some things that they're going through and you are providing them awareness. And also you're providing them with hope, which I absolutely thank you for. Elizabeth, if there were a message that you could give to women who are experiencing domestic violence right now, would you provide us with a, a couple of your ideas? What would you say to those women who are experiencing this? Wow, so much. But I guess the two main things that I would want women to hear who are experiencing this is the first one, you are not alone you're not alone because that is when you are a victim, when you have somebody prey on you, the first thing that comes into this whole thing is the brainwashing of that you are alone, that nobody will help you. Nobody will believe you. Nobody's there to support you. And that is wrong. Once I started speaking, 
the support flooded in from places that I could not have even imagined. And had I known that sooner, I would have taken action much sooner. I would have tried harder even before. Like I wouldn't have let it happen for six months. I would have figured out a way to, to try to make it less. And then the other piece is that there is no shame and it's not your fault. Wow. Wow. You are not alone. That is so true. And there are always people out there who are willing to help. In your situation, you know, being controlled to the point where you were, it's difficult to imagine that you're not alone, but thank God you did. And yes, there's no shame. People do become victims, but whether we remain a victim is a powerful choice. We have the right to say that I am no longer a victim. I am a survivor and I'm a super survivor. You, Elizabeth Molina, are a superwoman. You are a super survivor and you are sharing this wonderful idea that we are stronger than our circumstances. That's what I'm getting from this is that no matter what happens to you, the idea of you being more powerful than your circumstances, that you don't have to remain that victim is a message that you are spreading. And I, I thank you so much for that and for having taken your time to share so much with us. I, I'm blessed. I truly am. Well, thank you for, for offering the platform and asking me these questions that are not glamorous. They're not pretty. They're not the ones that everybody's like, oh my God, you have to hear this. It's so <laughs> changing. But these right. are the ones that are saving lives. These are the ones that people need to hear because we don't talk about these things. These are shameful topics. These are things that, uh, okay, like we, that doesn't happen to us. And I have to tell you, part of the reason why I started speaking up is because I was in circles of women that you would not even imagine, you know, just like living these glamorous lives, but one out of every three of these women was experiencing something of the sort on, on some sort of level. And by me sharing my story and inspiring them with hope, they have become so much better, so different, and they have been empowered. And I was like, I need to share this with everyone, whether they like it or not, like you know someone, even though you don't know that you know someone who's experiencing something on some level. You're, you're so right, Elizabeth. Sharing our stories, a lot of us are reluctant to do that because we are afraid of being judged or we're afraid of disclosing some of the terrible things that have happened to us. But I see vulnerability not as a dark emotion. A lot of people attach, you know, shame, regret, sadness to, to the experiences that they had. You know, they feel so vulnerable, they don't want to share that. However, I see vulnerability opening up as you have as a gateway. It's a gateway to connection. It's a gateway to hope. It's a gateway to relationships. What you've done here, Elizabeth, is you have touched so many of our listeners who are now going to think that it's okay for them to reach out, to not feel alone, and to share their stories and not to feel shame for having been traumatized, victimized, and so much more. You are on such a powerful, powerful mission. I, I don't know how you are just so intact and so wonderful and your, your energy just comes right through the screen. I can feel it. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for taking your time and for being you. Wow, what a compliment if I've heard one. And, and again, I'm gonna thank you a thousand times because you could have had an interview where we spoke about beauty because I've been a model since I was five and I'm not hard on the eyes. I'm just gonna, you know, call that out. <laughs> no, you're not, you're, you're and, pretty, you're pretty. <laughs> thank you. So we could have spoken about how I 
stayed looking this way, how I'm put together. We could have had a conversation about hair, beauty, styling, but you took it the extra level and you are serving the audience. And, and I just want to take a second to acknowledge you and, and just send you so many hugs because you are helping me and I'm helping you save a life today. I know that somebody who's hearing this is going to be saved. So thank you for letting me do that. You're very welcome. And I am happy to be by your side. I'll wear my Superman outfit, you wear your <laughs> Superwoman outfit, and let's go and save some lives. Let's do it. No more monsters. No more. You know what? Let's fight those monsters. We have the right to, to stand up for ourselves. And a lot of people, um, when they fall under the power and control of a monster, they begin to give up that one thing that we should never give up on, and that is hope. And we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. We, are, we do not have to fall victim to our circumstances and stay there forever. To become a victim, it happens. Some people become victims, as your story has uh, so, you know, it, it's amplified that yes, some people can find themselves in the power and control of a monster, but whether they stay there or not is a, is a choice. And yeah. you have, you've, you've brought that to the surface, and I thank you so much. How can people, Elizabeth, reach you to maybe thank you for your story or to ask you to speak for them? And I'm going to put this in the show notes, but is, would there be anything that you would want to tell people right now about how they could reach you? Yeah, of course. I'm pretty accessible on Instagram, which is Elizabeth underscore underscore Molina. I'm pretty active on Clubhouse, <laughs> which is like my new obsession. Um, you can go on my website, elizabethmolina.com, um, elizabethmolinainc.com. And, uh, but Instagram is your best bet. And if you want to reach me live, definitely find me on Clubhouse at Elizabeth Molina. Thank you so much. And I'm going to see you on Clubhouse. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes, you will. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient.